So this evening I'd like to um, speak a little bit about this this factor of interest or curiosity or investigation that Brad and I have both um, mentioned quite a few times. <laughs> Seems to be coming up quite quite frequently in in our talks. And um, just like to explore a little bit what what is meant by this investigation, curiosity, interest in the context of the meditation. And and I might just begin by just briefly talking about what it isn't in the context of the meditation. And um, we we've been we've been focusing not, not easy to put this across. We've been focusing on mindfulness of the body. And Brad and I have both spoken about the importance of that and the value of that and tried to communicate why so much importance is given to the body. But um, as, you've, as you've probably noticed, uh, it, it almost seems like the more we try to give attention to the body, the more the mind stands out. And, um, and, and I'm sure you've all noticed that by giving attention to the body, it doesn't make the mind stop. The mind continues. And what continues in the mind is stories. And for the most part, the stories are much more interesting to us than the, the breathing, aren't they? <laughs> it's, it's much easier to give attention to the stories than to the breathing. The stories hold a, a kind of fascination for us. And what easily, what easily happens, I think, is that the, the interest and the curiosity go to the stories. And very often, the stories that come up, that, that start to come up, that start to show, that start to reveal themselves, are issues from the past, or issues about what's going to happen in our lives after the retreat. And there's very easily a tendency to think, oh, this is really important. I have to figure this one out, or I have to resolve this. Sometimes we even come to a retreat with an issue and with the intention, okay, I'm going to use this retreat to to resolve this issue. And um, and actually, this isn't where the intention is with the meditation. The the curiosity and the the interest, the investigation factor, have a, a somewhat different direction than going to the stories and trying to figure them out, trying to figure out. Why am I like this? What's caused me to be like this? What caused this situation to happen? How am I going to fix it? How am I going to resolve it? And all the all these this this kind of um, yeah, trying to figure out or trying to fix or trying to resolve an issue or a story. And of course, there there can be and often is great value in this kind of analysis, this kind of approach. And there are there are lots of different forms of therapy that use this approach and, and some of them use it very effectively, some not so effectively. But but there are there are many approaches that 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 
to this and that, that involve this kind of analysis and looking at the stories. But the, the intention with the meditation is something different. Although the meditation can very much be a support for that. So in the, in the process of, the, of meditation, we develop qualities of steadiness, of calmness, of clarity, of um, well, lot, lots of lots of different qualities that can support us in this kind of inquiry, this kind of investigation. But again, the 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 intention with the meditation of the investigation factor is somewhat different, and in a way, it's. Um, it's not about going into the stories, it, uh, although, as I've said, there's, there's great value in that. But there's um, one, of, one of the difficulties with this is this approach is that there are so many stories <laughs> and we have so many issues. And some of these issues go so far back. And sometimes I, I have a sense that, that dealing with 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 these issues and trying to trying to sort out oh you know sort out my anger sort out my bad relationship sort out my good relationship sort out this sort out that is is kind of like um, being at the at the carnival with the the gun shooting at the ducks that are <laughs> going by <laughs> you know and no matter how many you shoot down they just keep coming <laughs> and and and. And I think I think we could spend a lot of time looking at issues, looking at stories. And again, there's there's value in that. But there's I think great value in a different approach, a different a different way. And that's that's what the meditation has to offer. What the um, the 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 factor that's that's translated as investigation and that that I often use the word interest for and Brad more commonly uses the, the the term curiosity the the actual term translates as investigation of states it's not about investigating the stories it's not about going into the into the stories going into the past going into the future, trying to figure out, trying to sort out. It's about looking at what is and taking interest in exploring what's the actual, what's the, what's the nature of what's happening? What's the actual nature of what's happening? I've... Um, I, I I look up. Did I mention this on this retreat, or was it last weekend in London? I mentioned this. <laughs> kind of lose track of where I am. Um, um, I I look I look up. I like to look up in dictionaries and and see what what definition they give. How how the different dictionaries define insight. Did I mention this on this retreat? Yeah. Okay. And I mentioned the the definition that. 
the the general definition that comes up is that, that insight is this this intuitive intuitive understanding or intuitive knowing that doesn't come from thinking the intuitive understanding of the inner nature of things the inner nature of things and this this factor of investigation of states is exactly this it's looking into things to to discover what is their inner nature what is their true nature what is the true nature of things and the the meditation in the meditation we we start with mindfulness of the body and then we gradually start bringing in different aspects of mind so mindfulness of the mind so today we brought in feelings um, I've mentioned um, I've mentioned a, a couple of times about how to how to bring attention to mind states and to emotions we'll go into that more tomorrow morning um, so so we gradually bring in mindfulness of aspects of mind so with the meditation what we're really looking into is ourselves okay and so we, we we've we've kind of said right from the beginning that the intention is to turn the attention the intention is to turn the attention inward it's an exploration of ourselves an exploration of who am i what is this thing i call what is this that i call norman kind of going round about here but hopefully i'll be able to tie it all together um, the the buddha in 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 describing what is dukkha what is suffering what is dissatisfaction in in his very first discourse he he says um, birth is in birth there is dukkha in aging there is dukkha actually aging aging is an interesting one the the translation is usually aging or getting old um but the 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 word that's translated as aging the actual meaning of it is decrepitude <laughs> so it's got nothing to do with your age you know you could be 100 years old and not be aging <laughs> okay you could be 20 years old and be very aged <laughs> so so the actual meaning is decrepitude so decrepitude the 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 um, the analogy that he uses is a garden gone to seed <laughs> so so decrepitude is dukkha sickness is dukkha in dying there is dukkha in not getting what we want there is dukkha in getting what we don't want there is dukkha and then he makes a, a very interesting statement and a, and a statement that's very often overlooked in in describing and in, in talking about what what exactly is dukkha he makes a very interesting statement he says in brief the five aggregates affected by clinging is dukkha and so he lists all these things that are dukkha and then he says in brief to sum it all up to condense it all into one little package the five aggregates affected by clinging 
is dukkha. And what does he mean by the five aggregates? The five aggregates is a model that the Buddha presents to describe, to define, to explain this me. The five aggregates are the body and four aspects of mind, the body-mind. And so he says, in brief, the body-mind, when it's clung to, this is dukkha. And what he's pointing out here is that it's not, it's not the things that we cling to that cause dukkha. It's not the clinging to those things that cause dukkha. It's the clinging to this sense of me, the clinger. <laughs> the dukkha lies within here. It's not, it's not out there. It's not out there. It's not in the things out there. And, and if, we look, if we look closely, I think we can see, I think, I think we would acknowledge that where there's, where there's clinging, generally it's, when, when we cling to something, it's, it's, it's really about protecting or defending ourselves in some way. So we, we hold on to things, we hold on to things, we identify with things in order to support ourselves in some way. And often it's quite unconscious. But, but part of the investigation is to look into this. So we, we hold on to things to, to support this sense of who we are to support our self-identity. We reject things, we push away things that in some way threaten that self-identity. And so when we're holding on to something, when we're pushing away something, it's really not so much about the thing. It seems to be. And we... And we and we, we kind of um, project into the things that, oh, that's the problem. And certainly that's a condition. That's a condition. The, the outer things are conditions and they're factors. But the actual clinging is, is this, and the, the, the actual clinging that causes the dukkha is this clinging to me. And the, the clinging to me in a way that it kind of puts me in the center of the world. The world revolves around me. The the Buddha used used the phrase, he talked about the conceit of I am. So that, that clinging to the aggregates, that clinging to the sense of self is is a conceit that that holds me and holds me separate from the world. And because I'm separate from the world, then I have to hold on to things because if I don't hold on to them, they're going (laughs) to go away. I'm going to lose them. And if they threaten me, I have to keep them away. So the the five aggregates affected by clinging... (coughs) And so the, 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 the liberation 
from dukkha. The, the ending of the dukkha is in the ending of this clinging to the five aggregates, this clinging to the sense of me, to the self-image. And um, try and come, come back to a little bit, but just an important point is that it doesn't mean there isn't a me. Okay? The absence of clinging to me, the absence of clinging to, to, this, to these five aggregates, doesn't mean that the five aggregates go up in a puff of smoke or a bang or <laughs> whatever. Okay? The ending of clinging doesn't mean... Okay? It doesn't mean there isn't a me. And, and I'll come back to this and try and clarify this a little bit. So what? So the, the, the question then is, the, the question that, that usually comes up is then, how do I let go? How do I stop clinging? And, and the mind looks for a, a how to do it. How do I do it? And the, the difficulty is that there isn't a how. There isn't a how to do it. The doing, doing is always a holding. To do is to hold. So the, the, the ending of holding is the ending of doing. It's, it's non-doing or undoing. And so the question then is not so much how how do I let go, but what allows, what is it that allows letting go to happen? What is it that allows letting go to happen? And, and I think if we look at our experience, we can see if we reflect on times when we have let go of something, you know, and I'm, I'm sure we've all had, had an experience where, where we've become aware that we're really holding on to something, attached to something, clinging, stuck to something, and had an experience at some point of that letting go. And if we reflect on these experiences, I think we'll agree that the letting go is something that happens. It's not something that I do. I can't make myself let go. And the letting go very often happens in ways that very commonly happens in ways that are quite unexpected, unplanned, unintended sometimes. It's just, for who knows what reason, just in some moment is just, oh, the letting go happens. Not me doing it. It happens. So, so again, the question is, what supports this? What can allow this to happen? <coughs> and this is where the investigation comes in. Investigation of states. The investigation into the true nature of things. The inner nature of things. When the when the true nature of things is seen, known, 
experienced, felt, embodied, the letting go happens. And again, I think if we reflect back on, on, on instances, on situations where we have let go, I think you'll recognize this. So what is the true nature of things? What is the inner nature of things? What is it that we, what is it that we can discover and hopefully do discover through this, this investigation? It's 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 rather um, it's rather tricky speaking about this because um, because it's it's so easy to take it, just to to hear the words and to take it in and say yeah that's it oh yeah that's it that's it it's obvious I know that I know that yeah okay and then we start looking for it and. It's tricky because because the, the 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 knowing of it has to come not from an intellectual understanding. It has to come out of our own actual experience. And again, I think we all know that an intellectual understanding of something is very different than an experiential understanding. The knowing that comes through experience is much more profound than an intellectual understanding. And and so we can so when 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 we hear about the true nature of things, the inner nature of things, it's really important to to listen, to hear it. But then in in the in the meditation, in the practice, in the investigation, not to look for this but to look at our actual experience and see, is that true? Is this what my actual experience tells me? And allow the understanding to come more out of the experience. It's it's the experience that will really touch us in deep places. And it's that, it's that, that being touched in deep places that brings about Transformation, deep transformation. It's that that being touched very deeply that allows the letting go. So we look at experience, we investigate, okay, what's what's the inner nature? What's the true nature of things? And the Buddha the Buddha pointed out three three characteristics which he said describes the true nature of things. Just three, only three things. You know, of, of, all, of, all the, of all the descriptions we can give of things, of all the ways that we can describe things and define things and identify things, the Buddha, the Buddha, the Buddha said that he could find three things that were common, three characteristics that are common to all things, anything. These three characteristics apply to anything that we can touch, taste, smell, feel, hear, think about, imagine. Okay, so, so what are the three? 
And the, the, the first of these is, is the most obvious one. And, it's, and it's, it's, it's very obvious. And it's so obvious that... It's so obvious that we say, oh, I know that. <laughs> of course that's true. You know, that's, that's, it's obvious. <laughs> um, and, and that is that all things are impermanent. Okay? It's obvious. Is there anyone who would disagree with that? <laughs> is there anyone who would disagree with that? Can anyone find anything that is permanent? Everything is subject to change. Anything that comes into existence will pass out of existence. Anything that we can think of, anything we can name, anything we can touch, anything we can taste, anything we can identify in any way will change and eventually will pass out of existence. Things are born and things die, including these aggregates, including this body-mind. So this is, this is obvious, and it's, it's so obvious that it's almost, it almost gets taken for granted, and it gets taken for granted in a way that we forget it. <laughs> and in the forgetting, in the forgetting, we, we live our lives to a very large extent based on, I was going to say an assumption, but maybe more based on a hope that things are permanent. But I think we do. We make a lot of assumptions that, that things are permanent. You know, I, I sat down at the start of the sitting, the last sitting last night, and, and there, there was an assumption that at the end of the sitting I'd be able to say, may all beings be happy. <laughs> and, and somehow, during that half-hour period, something changed. Something changed, and the voice was gone. The assumption was false. Things change. And, and we, we go through our lives with so many of these assumptions. You know, we say, we, 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 we say, good night, I'll see you in the morning. We really don't know that. We make that assumption. Sometimes we don't say, good night, I'll see you in the morning, because there is the assumption that I will see you in the morning. So why do I need to say, I'll see you in the morning? You know, sometimes people who are closest to us, we don't let them know how close we feel to them and how much we love them and care for them because we assume there'll be another chance tomorrow. We assume all kinds of things. And, and in, in these assumptions, we forget that things are impermanent. And then when things don't happen the way we assume they will, there's dukkha. The dukkha arises. So this, this, this investigation, this investigation of states, this, this looking into things, and, and the first step of the investigation is looking into things and actually seeing, knowing, feeling the impermanence. 
seeing, knowing, feeling, impermanence as a fact. And so in the meditation, we, we give attention to the body and, and we see, you know, it's not, it's not so difficult to, to, to turn attention to the body and see that it changes. We can feel it. We feel the, 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 the sensations changing. We, we, can, we can feel, we can observe. Come, in, come into the meditation hall and sit down cross-legged on a cushion first few minutes, oh, it's great, very settled, mindfulness of breathing, feeling the breathing. Oh, there's that pain. The body has changed. That's a change. And then it gets worse. <laughs> it's changing. And then, oh, add another cushion. Yeah, this posture, this position is just no good. I'll add another cushion. A change in the shape of the body. It changes and with that, the sensation changes again. Ah, that's better. Back to the breathing. You know, next day, hmm, I think I better try a bench. <laughs> Another change. The sensations have changed. The experience of body has changed. And then the shape of the body changes. And the, and the mind changes in relationship to it. The attitude to it changes. The feeling quality changes. And then we go to a chair. <laughs> Sit in a chair. Oh, this is much better. <laughs> Sitting up nice and straight and feels good. And then a little while later, oh, there's that pain in the back. I'll just lean back in the chair. That'll give me relief. It's change. Sensations change. Posture changes. And, 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 and we, we see all this and we know it, but we don't associate it with change somehow. It's a, somehow it's, it's not taken in. It's not really taken in. This is moment-to-moment change. And we see the mind changing. How many different thoughts have you had today? Each different thought that comes up is a change. It's change. You know, the thoughts come up. Can you hold on to a thought? Can you keep one thought for a whole day? It's not possible. The mind just keeps changing and changing and changing, and one minute it thinks this, and the next minute it thinks the opposite. So the first, the first step is to see this, to recognize this, to feel it in the body. The second step, the second step is to really take that in. To, so the, the first step of the investigation is to recognize this. The second step is to really look into this. So in, 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 the, in the meditation, in giving attention to the body, give attention to how it's changing. Give attention to what's changing. Really take the impermanence as a, as a, a kind of a focus for the investigation and for the mindfulness. And so, we, so, we, so in that really opening to the fact of change and, and taking it in, taking it in and take it in to the extent that it's really deeply felt and embodied 
and we know without doubt that change is a fact of life. And 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 the, the so the, the the insight the insight is this 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 deep and profound recognition of change. And the insight that goes along with that is seeing that because of change, because everything is changing, it can't be held on to. And that insight, that insight has the power to just awe. The letting go happens with the insight. Another aspect of it, of the insight, may be the recognition that it's changing, it's changing, it's changing. And because it's changing, if I'm holding on to it, if I'm holding on to it, there's dukkha. The Buddha used this wonderful line of questioning. He would he would say to the monks, "Monks, is um, is feeling permanent or impermanent? Is it permanent or does it change?" And the monks would say, "Oh, venerable sir, it's impermanent." <laughs> And then the Buddha would say, being impermanent, is it satisfactory or unsatisfactory? And the monks would say, oh, venerable sir, anything that's impermanent is unsatisfactory. Unsatisfactory because there can't be any lasting quality of happiness and peace and and ease with it. There's no, there's no reliability, there's no stability, there's no solidity. So it's unsatisfactory. So they say, sir, it's, it's unsatisfactory. And then, then the Buddha would say, anything that is impermanent and unsatisfactory, is it worth holding on to? No, sir. <laughs> And 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 this and this can come as an insight to see the 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 impermanence of things, to feel the impermanence of things in a way that the insight comes. Ah, it's impermanent. And the second characteristic that the Buddha pointed out of all things is that because of this impermanence, they're unsatisfactory. There's no thing that is going to stay around forever, and therefore there's no thing that can give us forever happiness, peace, joy, whatever. And again, this includes all things, anything. It includes tangible things. And in the context of the meditation, I would say maybe most importantly, it includes experiences. There is no meditation experience that's going to liberate us and free us and forever bring us happiness and peace and joy and bliss. And this is why we say, don't look for any particular experience. Don't try to get any particular experience. Experiences have their value in that they can show us the impermanence. 
and experience arises out of conditions and passes away. So based on experience, we can have the insight. But the experience in itself, the experience in itself is impermanent, unreliable, unsatisfactory, and therefore not worth taking up, holding on to, identifying with. And this insight, this insight into the unsatisfactoriness of things, to see the unsatisfactoriness, to feel the unsatisfactoriness. Again, this... I'm just remembering um, an incident um, years and years ago, many years ago in in India... um, First, first time I went to India, everybody in India, it's, it's changed now. It's really dramatically changed in the last few years, but everybody smoked. <laughs> Smoking was just everywhere. It was just the norm. You can, you can buy in shops anywhere. You can buy a single cigarette. The people would buy one. The poor people would buy one cigarette and smoke it. And it's just everywhere. And, um, and, 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 and the cheapest way of smoking was beadies. So I'm sure some of you know what beadies are. Beadies are these tiny little things. Maybe you've seen them. They're about this long, and they're basically um, a tobacco leaf, a, a raw tobacco leaf, a dried tobacco leaf, wrapped around some crushed-up tobacco and a little string tied around to hold it together. And, um, and the first time I went to India, I smoked these beadies. You know, a good way to pass the time sitting on a, you know, like a a 50-hour train ride, <laughs> smoke some beaties, uh, you know, a 24-hour painful bus ride, you distract yourself by smoking beaties. And um, one time, I, I went into the bank to change some money, and I was standing, there's this long queue, and I had been in the queue for some time, and the urge came, oh, have a beady. <laughs> You know, pass, pass the time, smoke a beady. And I reached in my pocket, and there were no beadies there. And almost immediately, I could feel the panic <laughs> coming up. <laughs> and, then, and then it came, I have to go out and get a beady. And then it came, no, if I go out, I'm going to be at the back of the line again. <laughs> and, um, and, and I thought, no, I can't go, I have to just stay here. And, and I could feel the panic. And I started to feel the craving for the beady. I could actually feel in the body. And I was able to just stand in this queue. The queue was moving very slowly. So I was able to just stand there. Good standing meditation practice. Just just stand there. And I opened to feeling the craving for the beady in the body. And it just started building and building and building. And I could feel Every cell, every cell in the body was literally screaming, beady, 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 beady. <laughs> and, and, I, and, I, and I stood there and, um, and just opened to this and just allowed this. And at some point, it just struck me, this is dukkha. This is 
dukkha. And in that instant, without doing anything, it just went poof. Everything just settled down. There is this wonderful calmness. And since that moment, I can say I have not had the least desire to smoke anything. (laughs) This insight into the unsatisfactoriness of things, this insight into impermanence and the dukkha that arises was powerful enough just to poof. You know, and it didn't require any going into the story, well, why did I start smoking? What caused that? How can I... It's just staying with the experience and opening to it, and really taking interest, having curiosity. What's going on here? So this is, this is the insight, the insight bringing about the ending of dukkha. And it just happens in such a magical, mysterious way. Hmm, boy, third characteristic. Should I go into that now or should I leave that for another evening? (laughs) Okay, third characteristic. The third characteristic, I mentioned mentioned before how the, um, this, um, this, this letting go of the aggregates doesn't mean that the body just the body-mind just goes up in smoke and disappears. And, and I mentioned how the, this, under, this understanding of the five aggregates and not clinging to it doesn't mean that there is no self. Okay, the, the, the third characteristic in, in Pali, the word is anatta, A-N-A-T-T-A. And this word anatta translates literally as without self. It doesn't translate as no self, which is how we sometimes see it. It translates as without self. And and this is very much what Brad was speaking about this morning, this interconnectedness, the non-separateness. And the Buddha the Buddha pointed out anatta as a characteristic of all things. And, um, and and Brad Brad mentioned how we can start to get a sense of oh body space you know where does the body end where does the space begin actually Brad Brad <laughs> no I shouldn't go there <laughs> I will <laughs> Brad Brad pointed out how how what's the percentage you said of the body is fluid. Seventy percent of the body is fluid. Actually, <laughs> actually, more than ninety percent of the body is space. When you start to look at the cellular level and look through electron microscope, you see that even the fluid—it's not solid fluid. There's space in it, and the the, the cells have so much space, and the and the body—it it feels and looks so solid. And sometimes it feels very fluid, but actually it's almost all space. There's really nothing solid here. And yet, there it is. Boom. Anyway, (laughs) 
Um, so an anatta, this 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 interconnectedness, and and anatta the, the anatta is is the most difficult of these three characteristics to to really to really get to really get in a way that it's actual insight and not just an intellectual understanding. It's, it's fairly easy to have the intellectual understanding. So what, what Anatta says is not that there's no self, but there is something that we can refer to as self. There's these aggregates. There's the sense doors. There's our contacts, our contacts with the world. Our contacts, the contacts through the sense doors. And and it's it's through these contacts with the world that and 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 it's contacts with the outer world and also contact contacts with the inner world, contacts with the the inner life. It's through these contacts and 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 the part of the inner life is thoughts, imaginations, ideas, beliefs, um, views, opinions. And so through through these contacts, we build an image of who we are. Through these contacts, we build an image of who we are. So, so, so the image of who we are, and not just the image of who we are, but but the the very the very the very shape and color of the mind body is dependent on and is in relationship to these contacts. When we see something, when I, when I open my eyes and I see something, that, that, seeing, that seeing influences who I am in that moment. Okay, does that make sense? You see that in your experience. When I hear something, it influences who I am in that moment. So hearing a sound triggers thoughts about it. You know, like sitting here very quietly and all of a sudden, ah, ah. And then, oh, there they go again, making so much noise and da 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 and, and what are they doing out there? And, and, and the stories, why don't they go to another... It shapes the mind. And it shapes the body too. You hear a hear a, a loud sound, and you can actually feel it in the body. You notice that when there's a really loud, sudden sound, you don't only hear it; you also feel it. The sound vibration shapes the body, and so the so the sounds. Every time we hear a sound or feel a sound, it's shaping who we are in that moment. Every time we see something, it shapes who we are in that moment. Every time we taste something, you, know, you taste lunch and it, it brings up the feelings. Oh, pleasant, oh, delicious, wonderful lunch. I want more. <laughs> it shapes who we are. Eat enough of it and it shapes the body too, isn't it? <laughs> Who we are and how we are and what we think, what we do, all of this is not separate from anyone or anything else. This is anatta. And yet, 
all of our perceptions, the way that we see, the way that we hear, the way that our perceptions, the way that we think, all our perceptions tell us that I'm here and it's out there. You're out there, the sound is out there, the tree is out there. The perceptions tell us that we're separate. And yet, when we really look deeply into it and really give attention to it and investigate the nature of things, inquire into this, we begin to see, ah, we're not so separate. And to see that, to the, to the, the insight, the insight into that, again, has a, has a number of effects. And one of the effects in it is to see, ah, I can't push it away. <laughs> it can't be pushed away because it's not separate from me. Letting go. We can see, I don't need to hold on. I don't have to hold on. I don't have to be attached that holding on and that attachment again gives rise to dukkha. What's present is present, whether I'm holding on or not. What a relief. In the insight, in the insight is the letting go. Another aspect, another important aspect of this insight of anatta this understanding of interconnectedness, particularly in relation to other people, the, the, the awareness and the, the experiencing and the, the knowing of interconnectedness tells me that dukkha is not my dukkha and it's not your dukkha. It's interconnected. It's interdependent. And the, and, the, and, and the realization of this, the, the knowing of this, the insight into this brings up kindness and compassion. Just as we want to end suffering for ourselves, if we see that our own suffering isn't separate from anyone else's suffering, then we want to end the suffering of others as well. The kindness and the compassion flow not from an idea, not from a practice, but from the insight, from the understanding. So, in the meditation, in the Qigong, really, really want to encourage some reflection on this this factor of investigation and and really looking into okay i'm investigating what is it that you're investigating is it going into stories or is it really looking into what's the inner nature what's the true nature of things what's the true nature of the story the true nature of the story is that it's it's a story it's impermanent it comes up because of it's 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 arisen, it's come into being because of certain conditions, and it's going to change, it's going to pass. Stories do change, don't they? 
Sometimes, sometimes you start to reflect on it. There's a story going on, and if you really start reflecting, you can see that the story has changed over the years. The stories change. Our memories of how things happened, or what happened, or who did what, can be quite unreliable. Stories change, and you get two people in, in, a, in a situation, and they'll have completely different stories. Stories change. So, am I going into the story, or am I looking for something, something deeper than the story? And that's where the that's where the intention with the meditation is. This investigation into the investigation of states, investigation into the nature of things. And of course, as, as I mentioned, with, with that investigation, at times a story will become so clear and something will be seen and it's resolved. And it's wonderful when that happens. But it's not the intention. The intention is for a much bigger picture than that, a much bigger piece than that, a much greater life-transforming peace than that. So let's sit quietly together for a few minutes. May all beings see into the nature of things. May all beings recognize the five aggregates affected by clinging. May all beings be free from dukkha. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.